Welcome to Over 40, Fabulous and Pregnant. I am your host, Jamie Massey, and you're listening to episode 69. If you're looking for pregnancy stories of women over 40, you've come to the right place. And today on the show, we have Carmen on to share her pregnancy journey at 40. She is a functional nutritionalist, and she shares so many great tips. Her first birth was planned to be a home birth, but ended up in a hospital. And both of her pregnancies were planned. Her first pregnancy at 38, she did so much research to get her body where it was ready for pregnancy that she kind of already had all that lined up when she was ready to get pregnant at 40. So enjoy her tips because she has so many. Her second birth was a textbook home birth. And she gives a lot of great detail in her postpartum recovery and what did and didn't work for her. But before we get started, I am over 17 weeks pregnant. And I'm just like, every day, I'm like, wow, I can't believe it. But really, I'm feeling great. I am having trouble sleeping, which I'm sure is quite normal. I am waking up because of pain in my hip, my back, or I need to use the toilet. I have been trying to put off buying the gigantic pregnancy pillow, but I think I'm going to have to break down and just get one. I'm also 99% sure I felt the baby kick yesterday. It was in like the same spot on my belly and I felt it like three times in a row and it was just this light, light feeling. It was really cool. So now I'm just always feeling and hoping I can feel the baby again. Our next appointment is going to be with a midwife this Friday, which I'm very looking forward to. As you can hear, I'm having bad allergies again. I had this like, what, last October in 2022. And um, here we are again. And I just don't want to take any medication for it. So um, struggle with me. I'm sure it's really annoying to hear, but yeah. And I also wanted to apologize. The Community 4040 Society has been open for just over a little two weeks. I've gotten quite a few comments that they didn't realize it was a paid community. And I am sorry, I wasn't clear and upfront about that it was a paid community. I think social media has set the expectation that it should be free. And on platforms like Facebook and Instagram, they are free because as users, we are the product that is being sold to advertisers. When I get on Facebook, I hardly see anything from my friends anymore because all I see is just advertisement and other crap that I just don't even want to see. And I feel like Instagram is just heading right there in that direction. 
So I never want to give you anything like that. It has always been my promise to keep the podcast advertisement free. So yes, the community is a private paid community. So you and I can both control the community in whatever direction it goes. It's a circle community, and right now there's a seven-day free trial. I have made the monthly fee of the community super low, so everyone can be able to join. And my first goal of the community was to connect you with other listeners and other women who are trying to conceive or are pregnant over 40. I... I'm going to be honest, I am not great at marketing and all that stuff. I wish I was. But honestly, I feel like I'm not sure what I'm doing. But I'm learning as I go to connect all of us before the money of the show runs out. This is not like a paid Facebook community group. It's something really far beyond that. And it's only going to grow as time goes on. There are separate discussion areas for each stage of your journey for focused conversations. So I know some of us are sensitive that if we're on a trying to conceive journey, we don't want to see pregnancy conversations. And I don't blame you. I don't think I would want to either. So they're very separate and focused. We also have live events where we meet over Zoom, where we can have real conversations to form real connections with other people. And I feel those connections whenever I hear other women's stories over these podcasts. And I just feel so connected to all these stories and these women. So I know these live events are really going to create connection. I kind of look at the first 20 members as founding members to help guide the community in the direction that it's going to go. And so my next project is going to create a course in the community on how to believe pregnancy is possible. These are going to be the steps I took to believe it was possible for me to have a pretty good trying to conceive experience despite the horrible circumstances that happened. So I do apologize because I'm fumbling my way through this, obviously. Like I said, there is a seven-day free trial now and our next live event is Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. I would love to see you there. So with that, let's get into the show. Carmen, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here, Jamie. And before we get started with your story, at 40, will you tell a little bit about yourself? So my name is Carmen Dunn. I'm a functional nutritionist and I'm out of Vancouver, Canada. I work with exhausted career-driven moms who are struggling to lose weight. So energy and weight loss are the two main things that I focus on in my practice as a nutritionist. And I can also say that I'm recently a a newly single mom with two little boys myself. So I'm navigating that whole world right now. And so you were first pregnant in your 30s. 
after that, you wanted to have another child, correct? Yes. So I was nine months postpartum when I was pregnant again. So it's pretty fast, but I always knew I wanted, I mean, originally I wanted three kids, but yeah, I knew I wanted the the second one for sure. Mm -hmm. So tell us, these were planned. Can you help us understand how you got prepared for this pregnancy? For the last one that I had when I was 40? Yeah. So the second one, I I didn't have to do as much because I had done all the research prior. I would say that the thing that really put me on a different trajectory for how I wanted to birth was I watched a documentary by Ricky Lake when I was like 27. (laughs) And that completely changed my mind or changed my world. I wasn't even in a position to be pregnant. I mean, I had a partner at the time, but we weren't looking at having babies, but it just opened my mind to natural birth and the medicalization of birth and just stuff that I'm against. So I think that kind of seeded me. And then when I was first pregnant. I went down the rabbit hole and I was researching everything. I became obsessed. I was reading every book by every midwife. I was reading books on home birth and, you know, professionally, every time I'd be at conferences, I'd be pulling doctors aside and asking them like a million questions. And so I really enjoyed the research part at that point. (laughs) And then for my second pregnancy, I kind of knew all of that, but I hired a doula who was like a pit bull. She had been operating longer than the midwives had even been licensed in my province. So she knew everything from, you know, every hospital, every C-section rate, you know, she knew all the OBs. She knew what we were up against at every, you know, hospital or where I lived. And I just grilled her on data and she knew everything. And I got a hold of statistics from my midwives on studies that had been done. So I really enjoyed the research aspect of it. Because for me, being a health practitioner, the most important thing for me was to have a natural birth because I wanted to share my microbiome to the child. Because that's how the baby's immune system is born is through the bacteria that get exposed through through the vaginal canal. Mm -hmm. And that colonizes their intestines and starts their immune system. So for me, it wasn't like to prove I can or to be better than someone else. It was really health focused. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to do everything I could to be able to have a natural birth, regardless of where that happened. Mm -hmm. Now, when you were trying to conceive, did you do anything special during that time? No, no, no. I, I did when we decided we were going to try, I did go out and get ovulation sticks Mm -hmm. and it never worked. I could never find my ovulation time. And so I kind of into my head went, oh God, maybe I have issues. What do you mean you couldn't find your ovulation? Like what were the sticks showing? Uh, Uh It was either a happy face or an unhappy face. And it never told me when I was ovulating. So I didn't know when to try. And then finally I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to go have sex. (laughs) Wow. So you only tried one time. Yeah. What prompted you to take a pregnancy test? Were you just late on your cycle? Uh, it was really interesting because we were actually in France at the time. My partner or my ex was from France. And I just remember like we were on the flight going to Paris and it was the evening time. They offered me a glass of wine. I'm like, okay, I thought it would make me sleepy. And then I would sleep because it was a night flight. 
And it wired me. And I'm like, this is weird. Red wine doesn't wire me. And then the next thing I intuitively knew is we were walking through this little seaside village. And in France, the pharmacies have these green crosses. Mm -hmm. That's the symbol. And these green crosses were just like coming out at me. Like, like, it's like they were like screaming at me. And everywhere I would look, I'd see this green. And I'm like, what? Why why are the pharmacy signs? coming out at me and then I don't know something intuitively was like maybe you should check because something felt off but I've heard women say oh I just knew when I was pregnant I didn't know I never felt anything different but it was just the way I don't know it was weird and so I went in and I bought two tests because I know you're supposed to test with the first morning's pee but of course you can't wait you know it's the afternoon I'm dying to know and we went back to our hotel And I went to pee on it. And I remember telling myself, don't get too excited. It's not going to work. But deep down, I kind of knew it was going to happen. And so it came back pregnant. And I think I was in shock for two hours, just shaking. I couldn't believe it was finally happening for me. So yeah, that's how I knew. That's amazing. Really amazing. Yeah. (laughs) One time. Well, how was your first trimester? The first trimester, I just remember being really tired. I think the nausea hit me at about six weeks and I was kind of depressed a bit. I just remember even opening up my laptop was too much for me. I was like, I don't have the energy to read work emails. And I think I just binge Netflix and watch documentaries. And then the nausea went away. Everyone said around as soon as you go into the second trimester, it goes and mine did around 12, 13 weeks. But I would say it was very humbling. Mm -hmm. It was very humbling. I was fortunate that I didn't work in the corporate world. But I just remember thinking, like, I can't (laughs) begin to imagine what a woman who was first pregnant, but of course, you hide it in the beginning, would be going through if I was still working in an office. Like, how would you hold that back from everyone? You're extremely tired. Maybe you're nauseous or vomiting. How do you hide it? Mm -hmm. Because I couldn't even read an email. Yeah, just that exhausted. Yeah. I was very, yeah, it took it out of me. And I think I had a lot of resentment too. And it around, well, what's the point of going out to a restaurant if I can't enjoy a nice glass of wine? So I had a lot of anger about that. And I don't know why, because it's obvious, you all know, you can't drink alcohol when you're pregnant, but it bothered me more than I thought it would. I was like, well, what's the point of even going out? And I, I, you know what, to be honest with you, Jamie, I I did have a lot of depression in the beginning, uh, pregnancy depression. Huh. And then I had guilt from that because I'm like, well, I'm a health practitioner. Like I help women overcome depression. Why am I depressed? And so I kind of went down the rabbit hole trying to understand why. And I think I came across some books stating that there's a certain hormone that downregulates production of serotonin or something. And then that made me feel a little bit better. But um, But I think once I got into the second trimester... That's where it gets fun because now you've got the belly. Now you get to go maternity clothes shopping. And it's like, that's the fun trimester, right? Because now everybody knows it's visible and you take all your belly shots and the nausea was gone. But yeah, the first one was challenging. And I remember it was just like, there was like a laundry list of things you can't do. You can't use essential oils. And I'm like, well, I like to put eucalyptus in my, I, I had a steam shower back then or you can't, you shouldn't drink coffee and you can't have cheese and you can't have deli meats, which I don't eat anyways. But it was just like, 
they put the fear of God into you. I can't have sushi. Like we live off sushi here. And it was just, I think there was a lot of anger around all the things I can't do that were previously, you know, fun in my life. So that surprised me quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I get that for sure. Yeah. And what about, did you find out the sex during this time? No, none of them. I did pay extra for the nip test because I was, you know, older, but we both, I I wanted a surprise. My thinking was just like, there's so much technology and everything we do in life. I think it's kind of nice just to have an old school surprise. And really all I cared about was a healthy baby. I really didn't care what the sex was. And that was the same for my second. We didn't check either. Mm -hmm. I kind of want that, but I'm also having a hard time believing this is a real pregnancy. So I'm like, maybe if I find out the sex, that will help me. There's definitely an argument for both sides. I can definitely yeah. sell, you know, the whole being able to buy stuff and prep, it it really is a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like you do want to decorate in a certain way. You want to get those clothes. Like it does help. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a baby shower purposely because I didn't know what the sex was going to be. And I knew people wouldn't know what to buy. So I did a sip and see after he was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that way people could genderize clothing or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I can definitely see an argument in both ways in terms of the validity of it. I I, I question whether you can bond more if you know what the baby is. Yeah. I, I do believe that. Yeah, I agree. It is possible. What about products? Was there anything that helped you during pregnancy that you can recommend? So being a nutritionist for me, like there are certain key nutrients you need and like getting the right prenatal was really important because folic acid is what we're told to take. Folic acid is the synthetic form of folate. Folate would be the natural form you would get in food. And so we know that people who have a gene mutation on what's called the MTHFR gene cannot use folic acid. So it's actually toxic for them. So what happens is it builds up in the mother's body, but it can't be transported into the the fetus. And then you've got a whole host of, you know, medical issues that can affect the offspring. So the one thing I made sure of was that I took the right form of folate in the prenatal, which is called methyl folate. It should always have the word methyl in front of it. If it just says folic acid, throw it out. It's not going to work. And it's, I, I won't go into the methylation cycle. It's too much for this, but you, you want to make sure you're getting the right form of folate for sure. Another thing that I learned at a conference was molybdenum. So mm-hmm. M-O-L-Y-B-D-E-N-U-M is one that they believe can help with nausea. And if women don't get enough of it, they are more predisposed to having worse nausea or what is it called? Hyperemesis, like the when the nausea lasts the entire Hyperemesis or something. I think that's close. Yeah. I always mix up. There's one for high blood pressure throughout the pregnancy (laughs) and then the one for the nausea. And so molybdenum is not readily added to a lot of prenatals. Mm -hmm. So I did have one friend who was pregnant at the same time as me and she was puking the entire length of her pregnancy. And I kept saying, I was like trying to gently say, okay, make sure you get this mineral, make sure you're getting the right form of folate. And I don't remember what she said, but I know that has come up at conferences when we're talking about, you know, specific nutrients for pregnancies. That is one that 
we're not getting enough of in our diet and it's not always added to prenatal. So I would definitely make sure that is in yours. Mm -hmm. Do you have a brand you can recommend? There's lots of good brands out there. I mean, the main thing is I would look for what's called a professional grade. So I would never buy anything off the shelf at your generic pharmacy because they're always going to be the lowest quality, not very bioavailable. So if you go through a reputable practitioner, like a nutritionist or a naturopath, they will have the right ones. I used a multi by Pure Genomics, so Pure Encapsulations, I think they're out of Massachusetts. So I took that one throughout my pregnancy. I was good. But there's other professional brands out there that are equally good. Mm -hmm. And what about exercise and diet? during this time? So from what I've heard at the time, I wasn't going to a gym. So I, I, I think I've heard that you just want to continue doing what you were doing previously. Like don't make pregnancy be the time to start at a gym and start doing hit workouts or something. Yeah. All I was doing prior was walking. I walked a lot and I biked a lot because I mm-hmm. lived downtown at the time. So I could bike everywhere or I'd be walking a lot. So Uh, But I would say it probably dropped. (laughs) My activity level probably dropped because I was not, I wasn't going to my office. I was not taking on clients. So I was trying to decrease my client load. Mm -hmm. So there's that. In terms of diet, I've always been meticulous of diet. So I didn't really make any changes, but I for sure had the meat aversions in the beginning. Mm. I could not be around it. It smelled like wet dog. And all I was craving was fruit which is rare because I normally don't eat a lot of fruit. So I would go out to a farm here and I would get like these cases of blackberries and I would just eat blackberries. And then I was craving bread Mm. and I normally don't eat bread. I'm gluten-free, but I think it's just like your body wants carbs and it's asking for the quickest source of carbs. But I remember having like guilt, like, oh my God, my baby's not getting protein. You know, all I'm eating is carbs. I need protein, protein, protein. But you know, all the midwives are just shaking their head laughing. They're like, Carmen, whatever you don't get in your diet, the the baby's going to take from your body. You're going to take it from the muscles. Like it's very efficient that way. But I will say I muscle wasted a lot, especially after the pregnancy. And I'm still working at getting my muscle back now. Mm -hmm. You said muscle wasted? Wasting. So uh, my muscles were being broken down to feed the baby. Oh, I've never heard of that before. Yeah. So fascinating. Like any anything you don't get in your diet, your body will take from your body. So if you're not getting enough calcium, it'll take it from your bones. That's why like postpartum, most mothers are very depleted in nutrients and some of them never make back those stores. So it's really important in the postpartum period to focus on like nutrient density to rebuild those nutrients that were lost. Fascinating. And should we just be doing this by supplements the best way? Well, you know, food is always, you know, where you want to go to, but yeah, there could be some argument for some targeted supplements, depending on what, but, you know, adding things like bone broth in, right, where you are getting those key minerals will help just folk, you know, meat is extremely nutrient dense, you're getting everything there and lots of vegetables, but I would definitely continue with a prenatal postpartum Mm -hmm. as a backup for sure. Yeah, that's a good advice. Yeah. And I think with regards to calcium, calcium is one of the nutrients, like supplements we recommend against. It's better to get it from food, but I think pregnancy is one of the times where you can take the supplement just because you do need so much. Now, what about classes? Did you want to take classes for this second one? 
I didn't for the second, but I did for the first. I did like one of those classic Lamaze type courses and it was pretty mainstream. They weren't going into anything, you know, hippy dippy or holistic, but I wanted to do everything right for the first one. And of course, my partner's in the the back snoring away with another dad. I wanted to be exposed to everything. So I did do those prenatal classes. And then my midwives were an amazing source of info. And then I also had the doula. So I felt very prepared from all different angles. Mm -hmm. Now, can you tell us a little bit about more of a home birth with your perspective? Because we're kind of at that turning point because we just graduated from our fertility clinic. And I am kind of with your mindset that I want to do everything natural home birth. And then I have my medical providers who are scaring me, you're high risk, all of this nonsense. So we are trying to decide between the two, if you will share how you kind of came across that. So when they say you're high risk, is that solely based on a number, which is your age? No, it's actually, there's data that says that IVF pregnancies are at a higher risk. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I'm not aware of that. So what I will say is, and this is something I really, I tried to be very, I don't know that neutral is the right word, but humble. Like, and I remember my doula would say, you can hedge your bets in the right direction, but there's still no guarantees of how it's going to go. So like my first one was a planned home water birth. I wanted to do it in the pool. Mm. I ended up in the hospital for that one, but not for the reasons you may be thinking. The second one was a perfect textbook home birth. In terms of coming to the decision, I would say I would read absolutely everything you can. Be mindful of where you're getting your information because it's really easy to get feared out of stuff. I followed a woman on Instagram, home birth something. And all she does is show positive images of home births happening. And then there was a famous midwife who wrote a book on home birth. I could find it for you. And I just read her book. And all it was was positive story after positive story after positive story about home births. But they all went differently right? There's no one way that it's going to go. And so I just tried to flood my mind with positivity, positive images of how this is going to go. I would say like my, my now ex wasn't for the home birth. He's very, you know, standard mainstream fear-based, but you know, through the dialogue we had with his midwives, he was comfortable enough. And I also lived five minutes from the, the hospital And my midwives kept reassuring me that if something's going to go wrong, we're going to know way in advance. And the ambulance has got two traffic lights to go through. So the risk was minimal. Where I live, I don't know what it's like where you are in Texas, but A, you have to be approved for a home birth. So not anyone can do it. So they obviously have to look at the risks versus the non-risks. And then you register your birth with the nearest hospital. And then the hospital provides a birthing kit. So you would have all the supplies that you would have in the birthing room, you would have at home. And then they the midwives give you the medication. So you have access to the same medications that they would have at the hospital, basically medications to stop bleeding like a hemorrhage. So it's oxytocin, they basically give you so I was given those a month in advance, and they were all in my fridge. So from, you know, we had all the same supplies, we had all the medication on hand, we're close to a hospital. And then by law, if you're doing a home birth, you have two midwives. So one for you, one for the baby. And then I had two doulas. 
And then at the time I had a nanny who was also a trained midwife from the Philippines. So, and my mom was there and she's a nurse. So I felt very (laughs) comfortable. Yeah. So it's, it's not like some witchcraft. They're just willy nilly throwing it out there. There's a lot of precautions that are taken into consideration. And if every centimeter of dilation that you go through, they're tracking you against OB standards. And so they would have known well in advance if something was trending in the wrong direction, they would make a call at that point. And in terms of the water birth, the first one, we never even got the tub up. The second one, the doulas were preparing the tub and they were starting to put water in it. But what I realized is being in a sitting position hurt my stomach more. I needed to stand up and stretch my belly during the contraction. So it turned out the shower was better for me. And just having that water on my back or the water on the belly was amazing. But it was almost too good because I think it slowed down the contractions. Mm. So you kind of want those contractions and a bit of pain because it keeps things going. So I kind of had to to weigh it back and forth. And there was a time where... I think I was like six centimeters dilated and they said I wasn't progressing fast enough. And so I kind of turned to my doula who's legally allowed to say what she thinks, whereas the midwives are kind of in, um, I don't want to say a gag order, but they're prevented from saying some things, which I don't agree with. And they're like, we recommend at this point that we break your water because my water never broke during labor, both, you know, in my first birth, it only broke when I was pushing the baby out. Mm-hmm. So for the second one, they're like, we recommend that we break your waters to accelerate the contractions. And I just tuned into myself and I said, well, is there a risk right now? And they said, no. And I said, okay, my gut is telling me I want to keep trying naturally on my own. An hour goes by, I haven't progressed. And so I said, okay, I'm comfortable now for this intervention. And then Jamie, so they literally put a hook up you. Thank God I'm not looking at this. They have to wait till you're having a contraction. They put the hook up in you. And literally in that second, I progressed from six centimeters to 10 centimeters. Wow. Water came out. It was excruciatingly painful. And I was just begging. I was lying down on the bed and I begged them, get me up on my feet. And the second I was up on my feet, boom, the head dropped. And he was out five to 10 minutes later. Oh my gosh. So they definitely made the right call. I'm happy I had that hour to be okay with it. Because what happens to a lot of women in births is that decisions are pushed on them Mm. and they're not being made with them. So I was happy that I was a part of the decision at the time. I'm like, no, I'm not ready for this. But then an hour later, because you start to get really tired too. You start to get to the point where it's just like, get the baby out of me. I don't care what's happening at this point. Yeah. But it was brutal, but it got the job done. Mm-hmm. I will say that. Now, if we can back up a little bit, did they want to induce you? And how did labor start? It was a dream. It was textbook. I woke up at 5 a.m. I felt pressure. I started tracking on my app. You know, I contacted my doulas and everything was progressing according to, to schedule. Mm-hmm. How far um, along were you? I would have been... 41 in four days, I think. And the midwives weren't concerned about you being late. So for my first one, they put the, the, I remember getting a, 
a random call from our hospital saying, uh, yes, this is so-and-so with, you know, blah, blah, blah hospital. If you do not have your baby by tomorrow, you're going to need to schedule an appointment and come in for an induction. And I was just like, what the fuck? Who are you? How did you know I haven't had a baby? And I completely flipped out and just went into panic mode, had an hour long talk with my doula and she calmed me down and explained, you're literally just a person on a list. They want you to do the stress test or I can't remember what it's called, but I did not like her bedside manner, how she, because she immediately put me into the the mindset that something was wrong. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'll appease you. I'll go in for the stress test. Everything was fine. And then they did they've done an ultrasound on me. And then they said that the water was too low in my uterus or in the plus the sac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm forgetting the word <laughs> and that they would wait two days. And I asked my midwife, like, well, is there anything I can do? Can I drink water? And she's like, no, that's not going to work. I talked to my doula. She's like, oh yes, it will. So for the next two days, I drank like a motherfucker. Sorry. Tons of water went back two days later for the ultrasound. And they're like, oh, congratulations. It's increased. So that bought me a few extra days. And then I got to 41 and six days. And by that point, one of the midwives was like, yeah, if this baby doesn't come out in two days, by law, you're going to have to have a consult with an OB. And I'm like, well, what's the OB going to say? And they're going to be like, well, she's going to recommend induction because they will automatically push it on you because of my age. And I was like, no, the baby's fine. I have no medical issues. There's enough water in the uterus. Like this is coming out of nowhere. And I did not want to, but I felt like the pressure of the world was on me. And then so at 41 and six or 41 and seven, I said, okay, I'm going to do the labor cocktail. Have you heard of this? Uh -uh. Okay. So this is something that's administered by midwives and it may or may not work, but it's a shot in the right direction. So I told my midwife, okay, let's try the labor cocktail because if it works great, I get a natural birth. But the second I'm induced with an OB, I'm having a hospital birth, it's not going to be natural. And if they induce you, because you're not getting the natural endorphins from oxytocin, the pain is worse, and then it increases your risk of an epidural, and then your epidural increases the risk of ending up with an emergency C-section. So I knew the chain of events, and I was trying to mitigate as much as I could. So the labor cocktail is, I think it's castor oil. It's some kind of nut butter and a nectar juice, like an apricot nectar. And the medicinal ingredient is, I think it's verbena oil, which the midwives get from Germany. And you blend it. And it sounds gross. It's actually kind of okay. And the whole point is it irritates the uterus. And if the body is ready, it will induce labor on its own. So it works for some women. It doesn't work for others. It won't work unless the baby's going to come out. But I'm like, let's try it. Yeah. I did that, felt nothing. I'm trying to think if I did it twice in one day or subsequently the next day. Like how much volume are you drinking? I'm just like... Okay, nothing too big. No, it it tastes like apricot nectar. And the reason you put the nut butter is it stays more in the stomach. Otherwise, it can cause nausea. So I think I did it in the morning and then I was outside doing curb walking, all the things they tell you to irritate the uterus, nothing works. So I did another one at 6 p.m. The doula came over, she checked me and then boom, it went fast. It was fast and furious. 
but my contractions were not normal. Normally, in between contractions, you get a break of like a minute and a half where you just feel normal. I didn't get the break. It, the contraction came and it was just pain. It didn't go away. And I think I was using the TENS machine, like those little electrodes you put on the tummy and it kind of sends a different message to the brain. So it focuses on that versus the pain. But I think at 3 a.m. we called the midwife and she's like, okay, why don't we meet at the hospital just because there's more tests that we can run to figure out why the contractions are weird. And I'm going back to my first birth, but I'm bouncing back and forth. But anyways, so we went to the hospital and I was not tolerating it. And I remember thinking, if this is fucking one centimeter, there's no way, there's no way <laughs> I'm giving birth naturally. Like that was just the most excruciating drive, five minute drive to the hospital and we got in and I remember they, they checked me and they're like, oh, Carmen, we know what the issue is. And I'm like, what? They're like, you're eight centimeters. So I was like, oh. holy shit. I went from one to eight in like a very short period of time. And by that point, I'm like, just get the baby out of me. And they're like, are you sure you don't want to go home? I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Just get the baby <laughs> out. And you know what? It's wild, Jamie, because I'm someone who's naturally very shy like if I go to a yoga class I don't go um because I don't like people listening to me but in that moment I was literally like a lion I did not give a fuck what anybody thought of me I remember standing up and I just peed on the floor and I didn't care and I think they're like okay let's get her to the delivery room and I'm like walking down and then a contraction came and I fell on some random guy in the hallway and he was just kind of like okay and put his arms around me but it was just wild how you turn into this person you don't know because you're kind of in survival mode. But yeah, and then the baby was like, I think half an hour later was born. Wow. It went fast. So I do believe the labor cocktail worked. It did save me. But I like I did a postmortem on this birth for at least six months every single day. I think it probably caused the contractions to be too intense. But that can happen with Pitocin too, if they induce you, right? It's more yeah. extreme. So who knows? But it saved me and I got what I wanted. And at the end of the day, I don't really care where I birth. I just cared that it was a natural birth and with mm -hmm. people that I felt comfortable with. Yeah. You had an so army of women. Yes. I love it. Yes. I was surrounded. I Your birth team is really important. So mm -hmm. it was really important. I had people around me that had the same philosophy, different energies, because I think the energy of my first birth was I was like, fuck you to the medical system. You're treating me like I'm just an age. I'm also very healthy, right? So it was kind of like this fight against the man type of thing. So the doula I chose for that was like a pit bull because she would go up <laughs> against OBs, doctors, nurses, get them out of the room. For the second birth, I wanted a different energy. I wanted more of a motherly, soft thing. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is your secret to an easy pregnancy and birth. I've been living a very holistic lifestyle for a very long time, at least 25 years. So, mm -hmm. you know, health has always been my number one priority in terms of what I'm eating, in terms of what I'm consuming with my head, the supplements, things I avoid, you know, I mm -hmm. avoid a lot of medical stuff. So I think that has definitely kept me in the state that I'm in. And I've also been a big believer in sleep. And mm -hmm. sleep is like one of the best magic pills we have for ultimate health. Yeah. So I think I've been living that lifestyle for a long time, but I do think that one of the things that has helped me is I've, I am someone that is very prone to stress and burnout. So 
you know, by me quitting my former career where I was used to be in the corporate world, and now I run, you know, a small little practice working with women, I think the fact that I didn't have the pressure of the corporate world on me saved me. Mm -hmm. Because doing the work I'm doing now when I'm like testing women's hormones, like your progesterone levels are everything for conceiving, but holding on to that pregnancy, right? So I think going into the pregnancies, my progesterone levels were really good. Mm -hmm. And that's because of not just my diet, but being stress resilient, because I know I am more prone to burnout. I've done a lot more work to become stress resilient. And I think removing myself from that corporate world probably played a huge role. Yeah. But I'm also not an extremist. Like I like my wine, Mm -hmm. you know, like I, you know, there is a balance to what I do. So I don't restrict myself from that. Can you give us examples of your lifestyle of like what you restrict and what you are, I guess, strict about doing? Yeah. So that's a good question. So pretty much every food that I buy is organic within reason, but all my produce, all my meat, even my spices. So avoiding all those pesticides, herbicides, glyphosate, I'm gluten-free. So here in Canada, the same in the States is they spray like crazy with glyphosate and that just destroys our gut and our immune system. So I've avoided a lot of like common environmental toxins, which is important. In terms of lifestyle, I walk and I cycle. Not anymore, but at the time I was living downtown and I would take bike routes everywhere. So I was getting really good low impact movement in on a daily basis, focusing on, you know, a good solid eight to nine hours of sleep every night. So one of the things I'm strict on is a 10 p.m. bedtime. That is really the optimal bedtime for women to get that deep sleep so that you can wake up refreshed in the morning. But I like my red wine. (laughs) I mean, I married a Frenchman for God's sakes. (laughs) You had to drink so, red wine at that point. The irony is he didn't know <laughs> wine. I was more of a wine connoisseur than him. <laughs> and I'm not an alcoholic or anything, but I, I enjoy it. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't eat a lot of sugar. I'm not going to say eat no sugar. I'll have desserts now and then, but it's not a part of my daily diet. I don't have sugar cravings. I don't eat grains, which break down into sugars. So I think not having sugar has kept me younger because sugar does age us. So those would be like the main dietary things. I run tests on myself all the time because as a functional nutritionist, that's what we do is run tests. So I'm always looking at lab work. I'm always looking at my hormones, my gut function, food sensitivity, stuff like that. And then stress, I'm mindful. So like, I just don't engage in things that I know are going to cause anxiety in me or stress. Like I won't comment on things on Facebook anymore because that'll cause anxiety for 24 hours. Like, what are they going to respond? The notifications not working around toxic people anymore. So trying to reduce toxic people out of my life, trying to be mindful about a workload, like I only take on, you know, six clients a month, you know, I'm not trying to burn myself out. My progesterone levels were good. So I didn't need to take anything for that. And just I try to, I don't know, I try to find the good in life and like laugh a lot because laughing lowers cortisol, it lowers our stress hormones. So I like a lot of comedy. I don't TV. I I just refuse to watch stuff that's negative. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't, there's enough external stimuli that brings us down. I try to mitigate it. So, I mean, I'm not by any means, shape or form perfect. And I'm also not trying to be perfect because I think in our industry, we call that orthorexia. That's just another stressor, right? Yeah. Uh, So I do try to have balance 
yeah, there were some non-negotiables, sleep time, quality of food in the house. I stopped eating fried food. So were seed oils, were you trying to restrict seed oils? Yeah. Yeah. I don't really consume too many seed oils. Just understanding what it does at a molecular level to our body. It's just, it's aging you from the inside out, right? That's not to say I haven't had some tempura on some sushi, right? But I don't, I don't go out of my way. Like I don't order it, let's say, but if it something tiny shows up on my meal, I'll eat it. But yeah, so I, I, I think the lack of gluten, the sugar, the fried stuff, getting sunlight. Yeah, it's a good one. Making sure I get my hit of sunlight every morning because that starts a cascade of neurotransmitters to give you energy, wake you up. Oh, vitamin D, critical for pregnancy. And I will say that the six months prior to conception is the most important period for a woman for a healthy baby. What you do in those six months will depict the health of the offspring. You can actually change the genes of the offspring. No based way. On what you do. Oh, yeah. I, I, was training in um, nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics, but like the doctors were saying, you could have two obese parents, but if they lose weight in that six six months before conception, the baby will not inherit the obesity genes. Like wow. it's fascinating. So when I'm doing like preconception coaching with clients, we're really working on that six months to clear out any gut infections they have, you know, get the nutrients, uh, help them, become more stress resilient, optimize their hormones, get their diet under control, because this is all going to influence the genes, Mm -hmm. um, how they're going to express themselves in the offspring. It's fascinating. Yeah. You know, I listened, I read something the other day and it said something like how much time we prepare for marriage in the wedding, you know, six months to a year and how much time do we give ourselves to prepare for pregnancy? 100% you nailed it. That's a really good point we're putting yeah people put more effort into researching a car than they do prepping for a baby yeah for sure that's a really good point Mm -hmm. yeah um let's jump back to your birth Mm -hmm. so you said he was out in what 10 minutes or something so the second one yes yeah it was fast (laughs) yeah so he was out in about 10 minutes i don't know if you want this level of graphics but like Oh, definitely. (laughs) Give it to us. (laughs) So I think when they, when I begged them to get me up onto my feet, like stool just started coming out of me, right? Like it's like a diarrhea explosion. And so the doula was right there with like, it looks like a wee wee pad that you use for dog training, but she just like grabbed it all, but you don't care in the moment. Like yeah, when you're not, you know, like when you're thinking about your birth, you're like freaking out. Oh my God, people are going to see me. You don't care. So they knew it was coming fast because that always precedes the baby. And then um, I think they laid me back down and it was like three pushes or something. It was pretty intense. And then I remember they put the baby on me Mm -hmm. and I was just so relieved that it was over. I never even questioned what he was. (laughs) I never asked what he was. I was just happy it was over. Actually, I was happy because he came out a redhead. And I was like, I did what I made a redhead. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. And same with my first, they put him on me and they're like, don't you want to know what it is? I'm like, huh? What are you talking about? They're like the gender. And I'm like, huh? (laughs) Like, it was not even, I was just happy it was over. Yeah. So what was important to you in those moments? Like delay cord clamping? Yeah, I think that was one of them. I can't remember how long we waited, but it was delayed. 
I think the thing that was on my head, and we can talk about this after if you want, was getting him to um, latch on because I had issues breastfeeding with my first. Mm -hmm. And I think he latched on right away. And you cannot imagine, Jamie, how much anxiety that took away because it was such an ordeal with the first. So I think he was latching. There was definitely pain and I was concerned about that, but it was fine. And I did tear. So I remember the midwives were like sewing me up. I I don't know how I didn't feel it because they're not allowed to use any topical pain killers or anything. They're just going at it with a needle, but you can't, you, you don't feel it. I guess you're just so like focused on the baby and you're just so happy it's over because you're exhausted at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just cuddling with him on the bed and just relieved it was over. They were sewing me up. I can't remember how long we waited, but we did wait. And then one of the doulas did take my placenta to do a print. Oh, Um, okay. Yeah. And I never got it. Long story. Oh, she lost it or something, but yeah. So I think we were just laying there for a bit and then they're like, okay, Carmen, it's time to get up. You have to have your first pee. And that's a very scary thing because everything's just kind of wobbling and I had trouble peeing and they're like, we're not going to leave until you have the first pee. Yeah. It's, it's hard, like trying to control all the muscles from your brain, but eventually I did get it. Uh, and then everyone just transferred me to my bed in the master bedroom. And then I just got to cuddle away with my baby. Mm-hmm. And yeah. from a nutritional point, what is your viewpoint on the placenta and eating it? Yeah, that's a good question. Consuming so it. I did encapsulate it for my first and I was taking it, but I had issues producing enough breast milk. And I remember my doula saying stop because in some cases taking the placenta, it raises some hormone. I can't remember which one, which can decrease breast milk production. So she's like, let's err on the side of caution. Stop. So I only took them for maybe a week at most, if that. Mm -hmm. And there's no real research on it. So the midwives were like, we don't really know. And, you know, some people will say don't do it because that's where all the toxins accumulate. And then others are like, well, animals do it in the wild, but that's just to protect them from being, you know, attacked. So I don't really know either way, but I didn't do it for my second. Okay. Because I was paranoid of not making enough milk. Yeah. Yeah. I would be too. That's an experience you don't want to do again. Yeah. But I, I hemorrhaged with my first birth. So I believe that's why I was never able to make enough milk. (laughs) I guess all the signals didn't happen with the pituitary. So that was pretty traumatic for me. Mm -hmm. And what about your recovery? How was that? Right. Great question. Because we don't talk enough about this. So you're definitely sore. If you want a graphic detail, if you can imagine a hot dog, looking at a hot dog from a bird's eye view, that's what the vagina is going to look like, right? <laughs> it's like uh-huh. the lips are swollen on the outside. The inside looks like a hot dog. And I remember having to go to the hospital two days later just to get my baby checked because they were concerned about jaundice or whatever. And I remember walking was excruciating because I had the stitches, right? So every time <sighs> you move your legs, it was like rubbing. So it's brutal. And... The, the hard part was because I would have to get up every hour and a half 
to pump milk in the night. And so I would have to drag myself up from the bed, get myself up onto a donut pillow to take the pressure off and then sit there like sitting up after the birth is like excruciating. So I had to sit on a donut pillow. So I do recommend picking up one of those. And I can't remember how long it takes for the swelling to go away, but you are living on those pee pads or whatever they're called for the first few days because you you are leaking stuff. Yeah. But I know they tell you to take pads and freeze them with water. It never worked for me, but I think I only wore that diaper thing they give you for like a day or two. And then I don't know, you're just wearing normal pads, but it's, it's painful. And I think they, you're supposed to use the sits bath. It was just a really weird feeling of sitting in warm water, which makes you want to pee, but you're trying not to pee in it. So I think I was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to have a normal bath. So I think it was like a week or two. I can't remember. It does eventually go away, but it's, it's, it's brutal. Like, and the thing is, is like the day after you're expected to be taking care of this baby, but there's no one there really taking care of you. Like you're almost should be taken care of for two weeks. You know, someone should be feeding you so you can just focus on breastfeeding because that's all you can really do. Yeah. 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 Do you want to get into that more breastfeeding? So do you want me to start with my first baby? Um, Let's focus on the, the when second. You were 40. Yeah. This baby, he was able to latch, which was huge, but their mouths are so tiny and your nipple is so large. So when they do latch, they can't take enough of the nipple in. So it's excruciatingly painful. And I was just like, does this mean it's not going to work again? Because I obviously had trauma from the first one about not being able to breastfeed. And they're like, no, no, it's just normal. His mouth is tiny. As he grows, it'll get bigger. And then he can take more of the nipple in and then it won't hurt. But I probably had to go back. We have a breastfeeding clinic here. There's like these two British doctors and everybody in Vancouver goes to them. So she would help me with the position. And they have all these different positions like baseball hold or this way or that way. And I was just like, it didn't work. There was only one position that kind of worked. So I did need help training him because they're so tiny and it's hard to manipulate them, but hold your boob. And I don't like the idea of people squeezing my boob around and it just kind of creeps me out. So I probably went two or three times to the clinic and then they would measure the baby pre breastfeeding and then after, and they would see how many ounces of milk that he took in. But what I will say is like, I obsessively tracked all my feedings. Can't remember how many months because of the past trauma of not being able to feed my baby, but I never had an issue with milk production with him. Oh, that's great. So it was perfect. And I can't tell you how much easier and better the experience was because with the first, we had to do some combo feeding and use bottles and just cleaning and sterilizing the bottles. It's so much work. And with him, just whip the boob out. I can be anywhere. I can be in a car. I can be downtown. So it's so much more convenient. There's nothing to clean up. So it was such a better experience. And I always made enough. I never had an oversupply. Like a lot of my friends in the prenatal group had oversupplies. And I was always jealous that they could fill up their freezer with extra milk. That wasn't my case. But he gained weight at the right weight at the right stage. (laughs) At the intervals, right maybe intervals, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So he always continued to gain weight. He was happy. So I, I can't remember if it was like three months or six months, but at one point I just stopped tracking and 
I, I let all that anxiety go because I realized it's working. It's fine. But it was such a better experience. Mm-hmm. And mentally, how were you? Much better with this one. Yeah, I was in a much better place this one. Mm-hmm. And at three months postpartum, I was ready to get back to the gym because wow. I... I had already gone through the learning curve. So I knew everything. This time we had a nanny who helped with my other son. So I had more support. She would arrive at 7am, take my baby. Then I could go back to sleep because I was up all night with him. And then at three months, I was ready to go back to the gym. So yeah, I was definitely in a much better place. I think I went back to work at 13 months postpartum. And every time I went back to work, it was like my mental health just shot up because now I can do intellectual things again and talk to people. But I didn't have postpartum depression the second time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because everything was so much better. Yeah. If you could compare the pregnancies, was the second one also easier too? They were both fairly identical. I think the only difference was in the nausea. And I'm trying to remember if my nausea was shorter or longer with the second. I think it was shorter in weeks, but maybe a bit more worse. I was actually on a road trip to Texas at the time. (laughs) I found out in Lake Tahoe I was pregnant. And then by the time we got to Texas, we were with family in Austin. I was like, oh, get me away from me. They're like, we want to do a big Texas barbecue. I'm like, no, (laughs) no. So the nausea was next level, but I don't know if that was accelerated because we were on a road trip and every time we drive into a new city, I never knew if I was going to be able to eat or not until the food arrived in front of me. So I had a lot of anxiety there. So I would say, I think the nausea was a bit more intense, but in terms of everything else, they were pretty identical. No medical issues. Blood pressure was fine. Like I did all the tests, like the gross, uh, when they make you drink the sugar, my blood sugars were fine. Mm -hmm. They were, yeah, but they're humbling. Even if you have no medical issues, they're still humbling because you're tired. You huff and puff as you're going upstairs. You don't want to do a lot. You just kind of want to lay around like a a whale on the couch. (laughs) Yes. Well, is there anything else you want to go over or share from your pregnancy or birth? So I would just say... Even with your best intentions and doing everything right, you still have no control over the outcome, right? Like you just don't know. So I would say try not to get too pigeonholed into exactly the kind of birth you want, exactly the kind of breastfeeding experience because you just don't know. And sometimes bad things happen to good people, right? Like I I got my natural birth, but you know, I was not expecting to have so much trauma out of why it went the way it did? Why did I end up in the hospital? How come I couldn't breastfeed? How come I hemorrhaged? So I I remember thinking, you know, it's not so much where you birth, it's your birth team. Because at the end of the day, I just wanted a natural birth. Breastfeeding is very humbling. Like for some women, baby latches, there's no pain, there's no issue. She has an oversupply, she can fill her freezer and she can go out for nights and leave the husband to take care of the baby. And other women like me, we struggle to make enough milk. And then there's guilt around giving formula. You just don't know how it's going to go. So I would say try not to get too attached to an outcome because you just don't know. But as my doula would say, you can always hedge your bets in the right direction by doing as much to bring on a good outcome, but just don't get attached because you don't know how it's going to go. Yeah. 
And how old are your sons today? They're four and five. Okay. So do you plan to have more kids in your 40s? So, <laughs> so um, that's funny you bring that up. So I, I'm recently single, as we mentioned, but I have started dating someone and this has kind of come up in a joke. I do feel that if I wanted to conceive another baby, I could. Mm-hmm. I don't have empirical data that I could, but based on how my hormones are seeing my ovulation each month, I believe I could. Whether or not I want to take that risk in my 40s, I don't know. But from a physical standpoint, I think I could do it. And I would not be opposed to it, even though it's just going to add a lot more stress to my day to day. But I I feel positive enough that I could do it. Awesome. And what has been your biggest challenge being pregnant at 40? Probably physically nothing. It For me, the biggest challenge was the fight back against my age. Because I feel like there's incredible bias. As soon as I think here they have this thing, automatic induction 40 at 40. So as soon as you hit 40 weeks, if you're 40 years of age, it's automatic induction at 40 weeks. I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. A person's health is not defined solely by their age. There's so Uh many other factors, right? And I hate how there's this reductionistic approach to all women at 40 are going to be exactly the same. And I get risks increase, but when you look at the data, it was like going from like 0.5 to one, like it was such a small increase, but they, they present it like, oh, there's a 50% increase in blah, 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 but it's really going from 0.5 to one. So I don't like the medical approach in terms of how they just put the fear of God into us. And it's like, our bodies were designed to do this. Mm -hmm leave the interventions for when they're actually necessary, but not because there's hospital politics that, you know, a woman's got X amount of hours from the second she enters the hospital. That's where a lot of the inductions are coming from is like, oh, she's got two hours left. We need to empty that bed. Let's get her on Pitocin. I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. So, so I guess the biggest challenge to me was just the fight back against the age. But to be honest, a lot of it was in my head. Not much of it was brought up. So I think having gone through midwives is a lot different than if you're going with a medical practitioner or OB, for sure, they're going to push more of that onto you. But midwives, they never brought up my age. Mm -hmm. I brought it up because I had a, it was an issue for me, but they would laugh at me. And they're like, Carmen, we have women in our 20s we're more concerned about, you're fine. But I needed that reassurance. So I think it was more the fight in my head. um, Because physically, I I felt fine. Is there anything you'd recommend that would help prepare someone for pregnancy and birth over 40? Support. I think when, yeah, like when I look back at why I had postpartum, obviously a lot of it was due to issues within my relationship and why it's over now, but it comes down to support. And I've talked about that with various practitioners I have to see. They're like the biggest determining factor in whether a woman gets postpartum depression or not is the amount of support she has. Mm. So if you have a partner like I did, who's a workaholic working seven days a week, and then on top of that, you feel this intense pressure that the house has to be perfect and food on the table when he comes home, there was constant anxiety and overwhelm in me. I never felt good enough and I could barely take care of myself. So I'm a huge believer in getting as much support as you can. And yeah, you may have to pay for that, you know, nighttime doulas, just so you can sleep a nanny if you can afford it, trying to enlist your parents. But I, I, I've noticed that a lot of grandparents don't really want to spend a lot of time with 
the kids. They want to have, they want to enjoy their retirement. So uh, I know my daycare was part of my village. Like when I got my kids into daycare, it was like, it was funny because some of my mom friends were like, oh my God, I feel so much guilt. And me and my ex were like, high five. Like we just felt like, oh, there's someone helping us. So it's a hard thing because most of us are struggling financially to be able to afford some of these supports. But I know here some families will put together what's called the meal train and everyone will produce a certain meals and it constantly gets delivered. So if the mom doesn't have to worry about meals and her freezer is stocked, that's great for like the first week or two, right? That's a great support, you know, someone to help cover you because you're probably going to be up every night from one and a half to every three hours feeding the baby. So if someone can take over in the morning so you can actually sleep, that's huge. Mm -hmm. It's hard. And and I feel for American moms, because I know mat leave really isn't a thing. Like you're lucky if you get one to three months. So that freaking breaks my heart. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine having to go back to work after three months. Like I wasn't, I didn't even have breastfeeding down by that point. Yeah, I would say support, trying to get support systems in place, thinking about afterwards. I, I don't know what daycare situations are like. Well, if you're a stay-at-home mom, not an issue. But if you do have to go back to work, getting your name on the list for daycares, because up here it's a one to three year wait list. So usually by the time you find out you're pregnant, you have to get your name on the list of multiple places. But from a nutritional point of view, I would say vitamin D, get your vitamin D levels optimized, test them in the blood, because that the amount of diseases you can prevent, like, we know that mothers who conceive in winter have offspring with higher rates of multiple sclerosis due to the fact that the mother was vitamin D deficient, right? So like getting on the vitamin D, getting on the right form of folate, methylfolate. And if you're coming off the birth control pill, give yourself a minimum of six months to get those nutrients back because the birth control depletes you of all the nutrients you need to conceive. It's uh, it's another thing I could go off on. But yeah, support, I would say. That's a good one. Yeah. And what advice would you give yourself when you were pregnant if you could go back? Probably be around detaching myself from the outcome. But I think I was overall okay. Like I knew there could be risks and stuff, but mm, I don't know. What would I do differently? Uh, I, I don't know that I would have done something differently. I think I did the best I could at the time. I'm proud of all the research I did. The only thing I could really do is change the partner. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, here we go. (laughs) Okay. I love that. That's fine. Because I, you know, sometimes you have a good pregnancy and there's no advice to give. Yeah, thank you for that. I I think I'm proud of what I did. I, I don't think I could change anything because, you know, adverse, adversity just makes you better. Not that I dealt with it. Well, the breastfeeding thing was pretty traumatic to me, but that's how we grow and become stronger mothers. I would just say for your audience to not lose fact, not lose. <laughs> I'm terrible. I swear my brain function hasn't come back. But to remember that we were meant to do this. Our bodies can do this. And if you conceived, you will be able to birth, you know, and just to have to instead of like focusing on the fear around birth, which is just like propagated through media and movies, to switch that to this is your moment to show how strong you are, like you are a mother lion, like, 
this is going to prove how strong you are and how strong women are and how incredible we are. Like it's really a, a coming of age experience. Um, it's such a beautiful experience as raw and painful it is. It's a fucking wild ride. Like it's, I look back on it as just the most incredible experience I've been through. So try to see the positive in it. And, you know, with every contraction, just remember each contraction is bringing you closer to the baby and to just let go and just trust the process. Your body's got this. So that's perfect. I, I, yeah. And Carmen, would you like to share how you help women? So today I help mothers (laughs) who are struggling with constant exhaustion and sleep issues. They can't get through the day without naps, living off of coffee. So I help them recover their energy so they can wake up refreshed, get through the day with ease and feel great in their clothes. So my sweet spot is that 10 to 25 pounds that moms are struggling to lose, especially after the second baby. That seems to be a thing. So I've developed a plan where you can lose weight 50% faster by focusing on the exhaustion piece first. So my passion is working with other moms or aspiring moms, because I do a lot of like preconception coaching for couples that want to get pregnant. So I've developed a program called the Optimal Energy Program, which is designed around how you can be the best mother possible. We get your energy back. You feel great. You're more in control of your emotions. We take care of all the sleep issues because sleep is a big thing. We regulate hormones and we help you lose 10 to 25 pounds. So if anybody's interested in learning more, I do have a free Facebook group a community that you can join. So I'm constantly giving resources there, lots of information on all areas of exhaustion, weight loss, mom challenges. You know, I hate meal planning. I don't have motivation. So like I cover all of that. So I would mm-hmm. welcome people there or they can follow me on Instagram at Carmen Dunn Nutrition. Awesome. Now- with your program, is it a one-on-one or is it group coaching? How How is that structured? Great question. So it's a hybrid. So it absolutely includes uh, private coaching. So that's where we go over your lab work because I always test to find out what the root cause of the exhaustion and sleep issues and weight gain is. And then you also get weekly group coaching calls. So you can come every Monday for support, start your week off right, ask questions you have or discuss challenges you're having or sharing the wins that you have. And then we also have a free private Facebook group. So that's where you can post your questions and get daily support. So I designed this program so that women are constantly supported over the course of the program, which is four months, that you can't possibly fail. The accountability is built in. You're getting the private one-on-one calls, but you also get the support of working with other mothers going through the exact same issues. And I feel like a lot of therapy comes from that. But if you're like me or you're impatient and you got lots of questions and you don't want to wait until your next private call, we've got the Facebook group where you can constantly post questions. What's the best brand of collagen? What's the best brand of protein powder, whatever. And then I answer within working days. So it's great for people that need a lot of attention, closeness. They like to ask a lot of questions. Awesome. Well, Carmen, thank you so much for all of your tips and your wealth of knowledge and your amazing stories. Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. I hope it helped. And thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great week and I will see you next Monday. 